Now, one of the most important questions that is debated in the media uh, is simply this. Does the private life of those who lead us matter? Does how your MP live matter for the duties they perform, the public duties? Does how they live privately matter for the duties they perform publicly? Increasingly, our MPs have been keen to tell us that actually it doesn't matter how you behave in private. And I think the countries are sort of moved to accept that. It's not a surprise, of course, that MPs are keen to say that because just look at how, how they live. I mean, of course they would say that, right? But the truth is it does matter. The private life of those who lead us matter. All of us know that. We want to be sure that there are people we can trust, that we can depend on. That's why the private life matters. It says something about, are these people trustworthy? How can we trust a politician to care for us when they don't even care for how many children, they don't even know how many children they have, for example? And if they, don't, if they care for their children, then how can they care for our children? I think parents here would agree that the moral life of the teachers who teach your kids matter to you. You are interested in that because the way they live says something about their ideologies, what they idea, what they are passing on to their children. You see, knowledge, to divert a little bit of my introduction, not a very good introduction, but just divert, knowledge is both tacit and non-tacit. That, that is to say, some of the knowledge that is passed on is, you know, stuff written down, Right? But most of the knowledge actually is stuff you don't write down, right? And of course, because of that, parents care what teachers are passing on to children. The stuff that's not written down, that comes from their ideology, right? So we care about private life. That's the whole point of that extended, uh, perhaps unnecessary uh, illustration. The character of those we depend on matter. And not just the things of the world, but also in spiritual matters. In the Bible, the character of those leaders matter. The character of the Lord Jesus matters. So it's not a surprise that the Bible paints a clear portrait of how the Lord Jesus is like, his character, his person. It is saying to us as we read the scriptures, you can trust the beautiful person and life of Jesus. You can trust Jesus because his life speaks for him, right? And this is actually what Luke wants to get across as we are going through this record of Jesus. The drum Luke is beating throughout this account is that we can trust the person of Jesus. Over the last two chapters, Dr. Luke has given us reasons to trust in Jesus. He has shown us that Jesus is God in the flesh. He has presented witness after witness to testify to that. He has presented witnesses from heaven and the angels and witnesses on earth. Witnesses in the village, in Galilee, and witnesses at the temple like Anna and Simeon. Witness after witness say, yeah, Jesus is the real deal. This is God in the flesh. Well, this evening we are ending actually our exposition of chapter 2 with an important summary of the life of Jesus there in Luke chapter 2 verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. 
This verse is very similar to the verse we looked at this time last week. Luke chapter 2 verse 40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. When you put these two verses side by side, you may be thinking already, Chola, can't we just skip this one? I mean, we had our sermon on Luke 2.40. Why are we doing that? Why are we looking at this now? Is there anything more we can learn from Luke 2.52 that Luke 2 verse 40 doesn't tell us about Jesus? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, of course. First, Luke 2 verse 52 is not Luke 2 verse 40. Right? When we look closely at it, we see that half of the words are different. That's the first reason. Just, just read it. You see that it's different. Secondly, the context of Luke 2.52 is different from Luke 2 verse 40. Right? Luke 2 verse 40 is describing how Jesus grew from day 1 to year 12. Luke 2 verse 52 is describing how Jesus grew from the age of 12 until we meet him in chapter 3. Until age of 30, until he begins his ministry. And what Luke wants to show us in this important verse in Luke 2 verse 52 is that Jesus carried on living well before God. And the people around him. That's the force of this verse. There are many lessons we can learn from it. But the main truth that Luke is teaching is that Jesus carried on living well before God and people around him. And Jesus increased in wisdom from that age of 12. In wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Notice Luke says again there that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. Last week we we said wisdom is more than just knowledge and understanding. Properly understood, wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wise living in the Bible, therefore, is really what Van Tuus once said, is thinking God's thought after him. Cornelius Van Tuus famously said that. It's thinking God's thoughts after him. That's wisdom, isn't it? And as we do that, we are able to live well before God and people. Now, the key point of verse 52 is that, and why I read verse 1 to verse 4, we'll see that in a moment of chapter 1, is that Jesus lived well at each stage of his life. Okay, that's the main point he's making. Jesus lived well at each stage of his life. He grew in living well with God and man at all stages of his life. And we see that emphasis really in the second part of verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Why did I read Luke chapter 1 verse 1 to 4? Well, it's because of this. When we read, it in the, when we read Luke 2 verse 52 in the context, what Luke 2, 52, Luke 2 verse 52 is teaching us, it is in the Bible to encourage us to keep on trusting in Jesus. Luke has written this record of for Theophilus because he wants to encourage him to keep trusting in Jesus because, why? Because our Lord Jesus lived beautifully before God and man at all stages of his life. Luke is saying to Theophilus and us, you must keep on trusting Jesus because there is no one like him. Our Lord lived a beautiful life. At all times for us. Now this evening I want us to look closely at this truth. That we can trust Jesus because he lived 
beautifully with God and man. I want to do this under two headings that are in your outline. The first heading is this. We can trust Jesus because Jesus lived a beautiful life before God. At all stages of his life, Jesus lived a beautiful life before God. That's the first truth. Luke says Jesus increased in fervor with God. In fervor with God. The word for favor in verse 52 there is the same as verse 40. It is charis, the original Greek word. It is also translated as grace. Incidentally, it's also the same word used in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, when the angel visits Mary and says, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found what? Favor, charis with God. The charis in all of these verses is not the grace of God to sinners as such. We, we talked about that last Sunday evening. It is simply goodness or kindness or what we may call enabling grace. But notice the subtle difference between verse 40 and verse 50 there. Did you notice? In verse 4 of how favor is used. In verse 40 it says, The favor of God was upon him, upon Jesus in verse 40. God supplied Jesus, not with serving grace, but with enabling grace. And we said that grace really was intermediated through the Holy Spirit who lived in him, who enabled him to do the things he did. As, a, as living as a man, um, uh, depending on the Holy Spirit. Of course, being God, but not drawing on his divine advantage. In verse 52, notice the focus is different. The focus in verse 52 is on how God regarded Jesus as he grew up. This is a subtle difference, right? Verse 52 is saying Jesus lived in favor with God, and we see in a moment with man. That is a communicating similar thing. God was pleased with the way Jesus was living. Okay, that's the point of verse 52. Luke is saying the Lord Jesus did not simply live well up to the age of 12. His entire life, from his teen years onward until he began his ministry, indeed until he ascended into heaven, his entire life put a smile on the face of God, we might say. Now, we know the life of Jesus pleased God uh, when he began his ministry because Luke tells us later what God said about Jesus at his baptism. Do you remember that from Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to 22? We read there that God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am what? Well pleased. In Luke 2, verse 52, what Luke is saying to us is that God was pleased with Jesus, not just at his baptism, he was pleased with Jesus Throughout his life. That's so important we understand that. Now, Luke does not tell us in what way Jesus beautifully pleased God at all stages of his life in this verse. He doesn't tell us in this verse. He just asserts it. He lived in favor with God. God's face was smiling upon him because of the way he lived, Right? But it doesn't give us the mechanics. That doesn't tell us uh, all the details of how that looked like. But as we read through the rest of Luke, the evidence is there for us how Jesus lived. Jesus lived beautifully before God in two ways. I just want to remind you this evening. Two ways. Um, they are there in your outline, isn't it? First of all, Jesus lived beautifully with God 
in his devotional life. We'll see this as we go through Luke. God was pleased with the devotional life of Jesus. The way he lived in his relationship with God. In private, we might say. Our Lord Jesus had a beautiful prayer life. He began his ministry in prayer as he was baptized. Then Luke chapter 3 verse 21. And then what does he do? He, he goes on a 40 day fast. Prayer and fasting in the wilderness. As we get to chapter 5, Luke tells us that Jesus would often withdraw to desolate places to seek the face of God. Oh friends, communion with God was absolutely crucial to the life of Jesus. And we should immediately ask ourselves this evening, is it crucial to your life? As you look at the portrait of the prayer life of Jesus, do you see something of that in your own life? And as we read on Luke, we see Jesus praying in private and publicly. Who can forget his prayers in Gethsemane? Who can forget his prayers for us on the cross? No wonder the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 5 verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. To him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Our Lord prayed and prayed and he prayed with tears, with loud cries and tears and fasting. We see the beautiful life of Jesus, the devotional life of Jesus in his prayer life. God was pleased with his prayer life. We also see the beautiful life of the beautiful devotional life of Jesus in his word life, we might call it. His devotion to God, including reading, including meditating on the Old Testament scriptures. Our Lord Jesus knew the Old Testament Bible as a man inside out. It is so important we understand that as a boy, Christ had already memorized the Torah, the five books of the law. But we know by reading through Luke that Jesus didn't just know the five books of the law. He knew the old, all of the Old Testament. How did he do that? Well, Jesus didn't have a personal copy of the Bible as you do. So what did Jesus have to do first? He had to memorize all of it. He had to commit all of the Old Testament to memory. Not just the Torah. And then he went on meditating on it. The rabbis often did that. And we know that Jesus did that because throughout his ministry he was a man who was captivated by what was written about him in the Old Testament. In Luke chapter 4, at the start of his ministry, when Jesus is tempted by the devil in the wilderness, how does he respond? He quickly brings out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He brandishes that at Satan. You know what? Even after his resurrection, on the road to Emmaus, our Lord Jesus again shows his great perfect memory of the Old Testament. As he explains the Bible to Cleopas and his friend. By the way, remember what I said about Jesus being a perfect man. Uh, being, coming into this world like Adam before the fall. So his mental faculties, everything working perfectly. His memory working perfectly. Untainted by sin. And therefore, his capacity, of course, uh, to remember the word uh, well, is there to see. But there was still hard work, isn't it, for him to commit all of that to memory. 
The point is this, the word of God at a central place in the devotional life of Jesus. He lived well before God because he was molded and shaped by the word. The question is, are you being molded and shaped by the word? Are you committing the word of God to memory? There are many apps, fight the verse. That's one of the apps that John Piper has, has got there. On, 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 on. You can buy that. On, well, it's free, actually. You can memorize two verses a week from that. Or you're working through the book of Philippians. We're doing our brother Frederick. Why not actually memorize Philippians as we study it midweek? <coughs> or memorize. Begin to memorize. Yeah? You're two chapters late, but you can start memorizing. Look. Why not? Max McLean has done that. He memorized Genesis. He memorized this and that. You can do that. Right? Many have memorized the Gospels. Jesus, the point is, lived a beautiful life before God. And we see that in him living a beautiful devotional life. But we see Jesus living beautiful before God also in the sense that he lived a beautiful, holy life before God. The life of Jesus was pleasing to God because Jesus never sinned. He was without sin. This is a clear testimony of the Bible. The angel Gabriel had already said to Mary in chapter 1, verse 35, that a child will be called holy, the son of God. Oh, friends, that is the witness of the angels that Jesus is without sin. What about the demons? Well, as we read the Gospels there, the demons fall over themselves constantly. We know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demons looked at Jesus' life. They studied it. And their conclusion was, there is none like him. He is holy. He is holy. That's the demons. What about the disciples who knew Jesus so well? Well, in John 6, verse 69, they say plainly to Jesus, We have come to know you are the Holy One of God. Even his fierce enemies, the Jewish leaders, could not find a single sin when the Lord Jesus in John 8, verse 46 asked him, Which one of you convicts me of sin? None. Whether human beings or fallen angels, whether friends or foes, all the witnesses agree, Jesus lived a beautiful life as the Holy One of God. And Luke is reminding us here about this, Jesus increasingly favor with God, this beautiful life of Jesus, because he's saying to us, we can trust Jesus to save us from sin. Theophilus, you can trust Jesus to save you from sin because Jesus is fit to be our Savior. He has lived a beautiful life before God devotionally. And he has lived a beautiful life before God in his holiness. Trust him. Trust is the beautiful life of Jesus. How do we do that? Well, we grow by doing two things. We, 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 we grow in trusting the beautiful life of Jesus by adoring the beautiful life of Jesus. Isn't it? Before God. Beloved, if we're going to grow to trust the beautiful life of Jesus, let us learn to tell Jesus how beautiful and wonderful he is. You know, artists often speak of visual 
lethargy. They say the more we see something, the less you actually see it. Right? You get used to it. I'm sure I've told you the story before when I first came to this country. I enjoyed going by Trafalgar Square. Oh, wonderful. British architecture. A village boy chola in London. I just, I, I, I just enjoyed it. Oh, but after going there a couple, one year, yeah, second year, well, it's just there. The tourists now were getting in my way. I just wanted to get to work. Something so beautiful. It's still there. It's still beautiful. I just, I've just become used to it. We live in London, one of the greatest cities in the world. But how many of us really appreciate that? This is a city of, this is an ancient city, city of culture. With so many wonderful buildings. Now nah, we just walk past them, we don't really, really appreciate them. What's going on there? What artists call visual lethargy. Our hearts get used to things, you see, and we stop appreciating them. And of course, that's the chief criticism wives have against their husbands, isn't it? Husbands, we can often suffer from visual lethargy and we need to repent of that. Oh, may that never be true with us and the Lord Jesus Christ. May we never become too familiar with the beauty and excellence of his person and life. May never meditating on who he is send us, send us wandering away and caring about our shopping rather than focusing on him. Oh, friends, I don't know about you, but I don't want the wonder and beauty of Jesus to fade away. I don't want to be dead to his beauty. I don't want to hear the name Jesus and just think it's just another name. No, I want to be like the hymn writer. And that's why we're going through Luke. That's why we'll be going through all the four Gospels. Why? Because I want, I'm keen. I want to remind myself. I preach this. This sermon's really for me. Right? That's a secret. I need to be reminded. I want to be like the hymn writer who says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he... He, Jesus, could love me, a sinner, condemned and unclean. If you're a true follower of Jesus, I'm sure you want to have the same sense of wonder that the hymn writer had. You want to be every day amazed at the beauty of Jesus. And Luke 2 verse 52 is here in the Bible to invite you to express worship to Jesus afresh. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature. And in favor, in beauty, we might even say. In being looked upon wonderfully by God because of his beautiful life. It is inviting us to express worship afresh. It is calling on us to confess before Jesus that we don't always appreciate him enough. We need Luke 2 verse 52 to gaze upon his perfect life, his beautiful life, so that we can confess, Lord Jesus, I don't appreciate you enough. I confess I'm too prone to forget the beauty, your beautiful life. I confess, Jesus, that once what I found, I found you beautiful. Once I found you exciting, but now sometimes I'm even bored to death listening to you, about you. Have mercy on, on me, Lord. Move my heart to adore you. Open my eyes to see your beauty as the angels do. We sang that, isn't it? Hymn 47 uh, this morning about the cherubim falling down, bowing down in worship. Well, let's pray that should be us. Now, not waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. Now, captivated by the beauty of Jesus.
So the first way we grow in appreciating the beautiful life of Jesus before God is we grow in trusting him by adoring his beauty. The second thing is that we grow in trusting him by resting in his beauty. By resting in the beautiful life that Jesus has lived before God. You see, his living with God, living with favor with God, is not for Jesus. Look, Luke 2 verse 52 is not in the Bible for Jesus. It is there for our benefit. The crucial point of Luke 2 verse 52 is that it is not for the benefit of Jesus. Jesus did not live in favor with God because he needed it. He came for us. He lived beautifully for you, friend. Luke is saying to Theophilus and us, be comforted in your walk with Jesus. Because our Lord Jesus is a real deal. He has lived beautifully before God for you already. Uh, Theophilus as a young Christian needed to listen to that. Old Christian, you still need to listen to that. You still need to be reminded there is nothing that Jesus did on earth that he did for himself. Jesus was born, lived, ministered, died, and rose from death for your benefit. Every temptation that Jesus went toe-to-toe with, he defeated it for you. Every prayer Christ prayed that carried him through this world, depending on on the Holy Spirit, he prayed it in your place. He prayed it for you. Every Bible passage that Christ read to deepen his life with God so that he could continue to live a holy life, a beautiful life before God, he did it for you, friends. The beautiful life of Jesus before God is for you. Why for you? Because in of ourselves we are vile and ugly creatures before God. Sin has left its imprint of ugliness on us. But friends, Jesus has come to take our ugliness and replace it with his beauty. Those who belong to Jesus now share in his beautiful life forever. We are in Christ. Beloved, this is our comfort in this life, isn't it? When we are beset by sin. Oh, friends, we are ugly, but Christ is beautiful. And we are in him. Are you prone to doubt? Are you doubting this evening? Are you feeling anxious? Are you burdened by sin? Are you feeling alone? Is there some difficult relationship weighing you down? Are you looking at your life and only see struggles? Are you feeling perhaps puzzled by God? Are you beginning to think God has given up on you? Oh, friend, Take a look at Luke 2, verse 52. And our Lord Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. And listen to this, and in favor with God and man. In favor with God. This verse, friends, is a death of our doubts, isn't it? Because it is reminding us that the Lord Jesus has lived perfectly for us. He has already won for us. If you are trusting in Jesus, you are loved and accepted by God, friend. Not because you are beautiful in yourself, but because the beauty of Jesus rests on you. You are in Christ. 
Oh, friend, doesn't matter what we are in ourselves. I say it again. It is what we are in Jesus that counts. And in this passage, Luke is reminding us that we are already beautified in Jesus. Whatever your situation you find yourself in today, fix your eyes on Jesus. Better, rest them on Jesus. Rest them on the beautiful Lord Jesus who has lived beautiful before God. Is your love, is your beauty. Oh, friend, he is your everything. Jesus lived beautifully before God at all stages of his life to be our savior from sin. And friend, to dress us in his beauty for all eternity. Oh, friend, this evening, trust the beautiful life of Jesus for you. Trust the beautiful life of Jesus for you. That's the first truth. Jesus lived a beautiful life before God at all stages of his life. Not for himself, but for us. Here is the second truth, and I'll work through this quickly. We can trust Jesus because he lived a beautiful life before people at all stages of his life. He not only lived a beautiful life before God, his beautiful life for God was evidenced by him living a beautiful life before people at all stages of his life. People recognized the beautiful life of Christ. You know, Luke says here, Jesus increased in favor with God and man. Luke is saying Jesus lived beautifully before God, as I said, and he lived beautifully before people. It is not only God who was pleased with the life of Jesus. As the Lord Jesus grew physically, spiritually, and under the gracious, enabling grace of the Holy Spirit, he found favor with people. People around him became pleased with Jesus as he was growing up. He was more and more loved and esteemed by those around him. We can spend a lot of time on this verse, and we don't have time. We need two sermons, really, on this verse. As you know, I've already sort of skipped the first part, and we're focusing on the second. We need more time on it. But just, and we won't spend more time on it, you'll be happy to hear. The point simply be, there's no contradiction between living beautifully before God and living beautifully before the world to recognize it. Just not that. Some of you are thinking, oh, I'm living for God. I'm living very beautiful for God. <clears throat> no, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's not like that. Jesus did both. Because doing one inevitably leads us to do the other. Isn't it? People around him became pleased with him. They were good and kind to him. Now, we know the Lord Jesus. And if you know your Bible very well, you immediately think of the passage in John, and of course you know they killed Jesus in the end by the sovereign will of God. We know the Lord Jesus said that the world hated him because he told them they were sinners, right? Who needed to repent and turn to him for salvation. That's true. Yes, their spiritual attitude to him was full of hatred, but as a person, Luke is reminding us, they found him to be loving. To be warm. Friends, everyone wanted to be around Jesus. And this is the point Luke is making. The Lord Jesus had a character that didn't repel people, but they wanted to be there, and some of them were caught in this tension. As they hear his words, at the same time they are being drawn to his character, isn't it? The word, the truth, shocks them, but they see something of the warmth 
of him and they wanted to be with him. They were warm to his personhood. And we know this is what Luke has in mind here because he has described the Lord Jesus in a very deliberate way. This verse is also found in another passage of the Bible. Where is that? Well, First Samuel. First Samuel 2, verse 26. Now the young man Samuel is, is there. In, 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 if you have a Bible which has sort of a footnote to, with, uh, with cross-references, it says, Now the young man Samuel continued to do what? To grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with men. Ah, very similar, isn't it? Samuel was a foreshadow of Christ, of course. What did that mean for Samuel? Well, it meant, we know what it meant for Samuel, because we read in Samuel chapter 3, verse 19 to 20, there we are told that the people regarded Samuel as a trustworthy prophet of God. They loved him. <laughs> they loved Samuel. Later on, of course, they have problems with his sons, but they loved Samuel. Well, this is similar to what Luke has in mind for Jesus. People were drawn by his character. Yes, as I said, sometimes his holiness uh, was offensive to those around him. We can imagine the honesty of Jesus as a boy put landing him in trouble with his friends. <laughs> of course he did. Whenever light shines, darkness always fights back. The honesty of Jesus as a boy, <laughs> uh, he would have told his parents exactly what happened. And I'm sure some of his friends would be like, why did you tell them the truth? <laughs> right? So they were definitely had problems with his holiness. And yet the Bible is also telling us, in general, honest and unbiased people admired the beautiful life of the Lord Jesus. They wanted him around. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. They warmed to him. And you know what, friends? It is easy for us to see this. Is Jesus now, even now, not the most admired of persons in history? Don't even the non-believers want a piece of him, want to claim him? Doesn't everyone want to have their own Jesus? You know, when I'm doing evangelism, people have a lot of terrible things to say about God. A lot of terrible things to say about God. And that's why in evangelism we say, get to Jesus quickly. <laughs> because when I, ask, when, I, when I ask them, I say, okay, I hear what you're saying about God. What do you make of Jesus? All of a sudden, all the negative things drop. They have nothing negative to say about Jesus. Not a bad word about him. They may refuse Jesus is God, but they cannot refuse his moral perfect life. And so it raises the question, doesn't it? What is it about the life of Jesus that warmed people to him? And even today they recognize him as they warm to him to a degree. Even as they reject the cross. Well, the obvious answer is that the Lord Jesus Christ are the fruits of God, the Holy Spirit. As we said last Sunday evenings when we looked at Luke chapter 2 verse 40. Right? And he had the fruits of the Spirit. Now, we don't have the whole time to unpack all the fruits of the Spirit that Jesus had. Indeed, we can't, right? Let me just give you three quick examples that we see, we'll come across as we go through a look. First, people warm to Jesus because of his compassion. Oh, how our Lord Jesus had great compassion. We read about it 
we'll read about it. We'll come across it when Jesus gets to Nain in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 11 to 13. I'll just read it for you. Luke chapter 7, verse 11 to 13. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, Luke tells us, he had compassion, compassion on her, and said to her, do not weep. You know, when Luke tells us that Jesus is moved here with compassion, it means his guts are wrenched. Christ has entered our pain. He is in our shoes. Christ is not having pity that is too condescending. He's not having sympathy that is too superficial. It is not even empathy. That sounds too distant. That is too distant. Jesus is feeling. What Jesus is feeling for her is not just mind for mind or heart for heart. This is stomach for stomach. Blood for blood. Gut for gut. Imagine going to, a, to, to see a GP who not only feels your physical pain, but also your spiritual, emotional, and relational well-being. That is Jesus here. That is Jesus throughout the Gospels. That is Jesus now in heaven as our high priest. Jesus has great compassion. And people saw that. And warm to him for that. People also warm to Jesus because of his great patience. This is the other fruit we see in the life of Jesus. As we read the gospel, we see that Jesus was patient with everyone. Again, we, we don't have the time to, 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 to see the examples of that. But it's easy for us to see it, isn't it? It's just go straight for the cross. Go straight for the cross. Because as we read, we see that Jesus had patience with his enemy. And where is that patience seen? Well, we see this patience towards enemy shines brightly in how Jesus suffered at the hands of sinners. People created in his image. Jesus willingly and patiently allowed himself to be arrested by mere men, right? He, he was arrested, tried, tortured, and killed by mere men. And let's not forget filthy sinners rebellious against God. He allowed filthy, evil sinners to murder him. Our Lord Jesus suffered on that cross patiently for us. The cross of shame, he patiently endured at the hands of his enemies. Such patience with others. Our Lord was full of patience. And of course, his humility. I'll just my final example, really. People also warm to Jesus because of his humility. You know, we sometimes say of people, they are clever and they know it. <laughs> Great people like to be noticed, don't they? Not our Lord Jesus. He never stood on his infinite dignity. He never demanded attention from people. We never see Christ demanding special treatment from anyone. The creator of worlds, he who sustains everything, didn't come demanding. No, what did Jesus come to say? He says, I did not come to be saved, but to serve. And we see him taking that basin, isn't it? And the towel. And he starts washing the dirty feet of Peter. You know, they say if 
We are too big for little things. We are too little for big things, isn't it? Jesus was never too big for vile sinners like us. He is God who stooped to wash our feet. Jesus was also humble in his speech. He did not bore people with constant reminders of who he was. He simply allowed his miracles to point to him. You know, Christ could have dazzled humanity with the greatest knowledge and wisdom. We see a glimpse of that, didn't we, this morning at the temple. Christ could have carried on and even more. He could have taught them of things they had never even thought of. Even before it was invented. He could have dazzled them, couldn't he? After all, all the treasures of God's wisdom rest in Jesus. He could have overwhelmed his disciples. But what was Jesus like? He was tender and humble. Oh, friends, us, we learn one little things here, like the whole world, everyone, everyone, we're on top now, we're theological experts. Just one little thing. Jesus, who knew all truth, lived humble. And of course, many people who are gifted or blessed in some area find it very hard to lead to people around them. Because their riches and Knowledge distances them from people. No, Jesus, friend. Our Lord was humble. Such that when people saw, when Jesus saw people in need, he reached out to them. The Lord of universe had time. Are you not amazed how much time Jesus had for each person? Well, we'll see it in Luke. Jesus had time for the leper. He had time for the woman of Samaria in John. He had time for blind Bartimaeus. He had time for Jairus' daughter, and the list goes on. And you know what? For three years, friends, think of this. For three years, Jesus gave time to Judas, who would later betray him. He humbled himself even before Judas is carried. Shocking. So our Lord Jesus lived a beautiful life before people at all stages of his life. And the people around it confirmed it by warming their hearts to him. Mary reporting to look, this eyewitness account says, yeah. From the age of 12 to the age of 30, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, Mary says, and in favor with God and man. He lived a beautiful life and I saw it with my own eyes. Look, he's saying to Theophilus and us, you have every reason, friend, to continue to trust in Jesus because he has lived a beautiful life for God before people. And I think Luke, if he we if we was here this evening and we asked him to expand on that, I think Luke would say to us, what that means is you do not have to worry that the Lord Jesus will somehow abandon you or turn his back on you. Yes, sometimes Christ puzzles us. But you, sh- you have nothing to worry about. You can trust the warmth and love of his character towards you. As you go on living with Jesus, you will find him ever more beautiful, ever more wonderful, ever more glorious. He is beauty itself. And so he's saying to us, isn't he? Grow then, Luke would say. 
Grow in trusting Jesus by longing and thirsting for the beauty of Jesus. Not the beauty of this world. Allow the beauty of Jesus to change you, friend. The beauty of Jesus is a transforming beauty. As we look upon his beautiful life through the eyes of faith, what happens to us is that we grow every day to become beautiful like the Lord Jesus is. We are already beautiful inside because we are in Christ, but we become outside who we are inside. We start hating the ugliness of sin in our lives. And you know what? As the beautiful life of Jesus grows out of us, our lives become spiritually attractive to people around you. Do you want married women here? Do you want to be attractive to your husband? Spiritually attractive? Every woman would say yes. Husbands, you want to be spiritually attractive to your wives, don't you? You want your wives to look at you and say, yeah, he's making spiritual progress. He's living a beautiful life before God. You want that. Well, what's the key? Long and thirst for the beauty of Jesus. Spices, spouses, I should say, we want our spouses to find us more beautiful. We want our kids to see us more beautiful. We want our boss to see us more beautiful, spiritually beautiful. And you know what? The more we become like Christ, that happens. Oh, and it's a second sermon which is not going to be preached, but it happens because it's implied here. As we get, we get to know more of Jesus, this, this idea that somehow, if I'm living for Jesus, oh, it just means that, well, there is that. There's persecution, of course. Those who desire to live a good life shall suffer persecution. But you know what? As a former employer, I would say, like people who employed people, I can tell you bosses want faithful people. They want hard-working people. They want people who are not simply wasting the Zoom hours. They want people who go the extra mile. Those people get to the top. And you know what? As a Christian, you have the incentive to do that, not because you're pursuing worldly riches, but because you're living for Christ. My point is that you become more beautiful and more faithful before God. It will show in your workplace. And good and unbiased employers who see that. So all I'm saying is that this beautifying effect of Jesus, you see, uh, has many, many wonderful implications for us. And you know what? One of them may be just the neighbors watching the beautifying power of Jesus in your life may sweet, quietly start asking, I wonder what the reason for the hope that is in that person. And they may come and ask you of that. Oh, friends, as I come to an end, my, my prayer is that you would pray as an individual. And we as a church, we would pray as a church the words of the hymn writer Katie B. Wilkinson. In that final hymn we'll sing in a moment where she says, May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win. And may they forget the channel, seeing only him. May the Lord Jesus help us to live a beautiful life before God and a beautiful life before people. Amen.